The Ringer Gambling Feed is your one-stop shop for all things betting throughout the NFL season from week one all the way through Super Bowl 58 in Las Vegas. We have you covered every which way. We got our favorite futures. We got props. We'll discuss the lines. And of course, we'll throw in a few parlays. That's a given. So whether you're a sharp or a square better, we'll be breaking it down in terms hopefully everybody can understand and we'll try to win some money along the way. So be sure to subscribe to the Ringer Gambling Feed on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. It's the Ringers Philly special presented by FanDuel. The playoff action is heating up and with FanDuel, you can bet on everything from the NBA Finals MVP to who's going to lift the Stanley Cup. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub, filter by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all on one page, plus start betting on the pulse and get paid instantly when you win. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus, 18 plus in D.C. and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. Welcome to the Ringers Philly special. Sheil Kapati here. A little bonus episode. You know, tomorrow we'll have Sean on. We'll talk about the uh, Bucks matchup for the three or four of you that are interested in the X's and O's uh, of that matchup. But you know what? We got a lot of big picture stuff happening with this Eagles team. What what are like the next two to three weeks going to look like depending on how this season ends? So, of course. Talk about that. I needed someone plugged in. I needed boots on the ground. I needed someone who knows the ins and outs of this organization. And that's why we've got my friend from Birds 24-7 or ESPN. I mean, however however you remember him. Tim McManus. T-Mac, what, is se- second time on the Ringers Philly special, I believe? Second time on the Ringers special. Yeah, we laid out how the season was going to go. I think we predicted exactly this, the 10-1 the <laughs> start, the collapse. So, so far, we're, we're batting 1,000. That, that's right. You know, I think, well, what did, where did you have them this season? What was your preseason prediction? 12 wins. Okay. So you were one off. Yeah. I think, I, was close. I, I think I was, yeah, I was 11 or 12 also. I think I said, no, I had them going to the Super Bowl. I couldn't figure out another NFC team. I said, I know it never happens, but I don't like any of these other NFC teams. So I'm just going to go to the default. Probably a mistake. Hindsight. I should have just found another team. Little did you know that every NFC team is capable of beating the Eagles. Yes, that's right. Cardinals, Giants, you name it. All right. Format today is simple. We've done this before. Uh, It's very easy. I came up with a list of this time we're doing 
seven questions. And T-Max just going to pick a number, and I'm going to go to that question, and we're going to get to it. These are all sort of like, these are questions on my mind about how the next two weeks, the offseason, everything is going to play out, all the controversy, all the, the meltdown, the collapse, all of it. So these are not, again, these are not Eagles Bucks focused, although we'll get into a little bit of that, but these are more big picture questions. All right, T-Mac. Start us off. I shook them up. I did it a little randomized order. You don't know what's coming when. We could start with the biggest question. We could start with the worst question. Who knows? What do you got? What's your number? I'm going to write these down as I go so I don't do the same number twice like a dope. Um, let's yeah, go. You know, the, the, you know the host is going to get confused. So that's a good job by you <laughs> knowing me all too well. Let's go number three. Number three. All right. This is a, this is a nice warm, you know, we'll, we'll warm up with, with this one. Is this the last time, Tim, we see Jason Kelsey, Brandon Graham, Fletcher Cox, and or Lane Johnson in an Eagles uniform? I feel like this is a great one to start start with, Tim, because when we were doing Birds 24-7, I mean, these are the guys, let's see, how many, yeah, these were the guys who were like on the roster, you know, when we were in our heyday for Philly Mag, these are the guys who were there then, and they're still there now. We're still here now. Uh, maybe not for long, but uh, we're, we're still here now. So that's good. So this is a good sort of warm up, a throwback, but potentially guys who could be out of here, I guess, that we could be watching them in their final games as Eagles on Monday night. What do you think about those four guys? I actually remember the other time that I was on this fine program, you asked, how could things go wrong this year? And part of the answer was, what if like the old guard gets old and the new guard isn't ready, uh, particularly on the defensive front? And uh, I think maybe that part is proving out a little bit. Although Fletcher Cox, I don't, I don't know how you see it, but I feel like he's having a pretty good year. He's playing well. That, I didn't like that contract at the time. They got their money's worth. Yeah, he, he's been the least of their problems. I'm with you. He's, he's played pretty well this season. Yeah, that that gives me uh, you know a little bit of optimism that maybe he'll run it back. Although there does seem to be some kind of like pairing between he and and uh, Brandon Graham. It's like it's hard to picture one here without the other. They're really tight. Their their locker stalls are right next to each other. I think that they really feed off of one another. And and part of the reason they both stayed in Philadelphia probably has something to do with that connection. Um, you know, Lane Johnson feels like an easier one. He, he still has another year or two, I think. Uh, so for him to to come back seems like the, the easiest. And Kelsey's, Kelsey's tough, man. Uh, going into this year, it definitely felt like to me like this was it. Like he was he was setting up his empire on, on the outside. He was running it back after getting really close to the Super Bowl. He got to play Travis again during the regular season. But all right, you know, uh, he believed in Jalen Hurts and he's coming back. But as we know, like predicting Kelsey being done, people have been doing that for five, half a decade now. <laughs> and it hasn't happened yet. But I'll say that I'll say he'll move on. I'll say that um, that that Graham ends up uh, finishing this year as well. I think that's how I see it as well. I was thinking about Kelsey the most because just looking even at like this last week's film and the stuff he's still doing where it's like, man, when he's gone, this scheme really has to change a lot. And a lot of the stuff they do well with the run game, whether it's even the brotherly shove or even just some of the uh, the other run schemes, like you can't do that unless you have Jason Kelsey. But if you're Kelsey, this this kind of feels like it might be time. You know, it's like, you probably thought about it after last season. You got to the Super Bowl. It could have just been like, all right, that was a great season. But the vibes were so, I mean, he must have been having so much fun last year. Like last year was, might have been the most fun uh, he's ever had playing football. But then this year, the way it's gone, 
And to see it, oh man, this this has sort of been a miserable, <laughs> miserable season for everybody. And like you said, he's got so much stuff now going on outside of football where even three years ago, I mean, three years ago, we could have said, all right, he could do whatever he wants. He's a talented guy. He can do me. But now it's like, he's already built all this stuff. Like it's just, they're waiting for him. He's in the Amazon booth during the season. So to me, uh, I would not be surprised at all if whenever this Eagles uh, playoff season ends, that it that's it for Kelsey. So I'm with you there. I'm with you there with Graham too, just because like they don't play Graham a lot. You know, I, I don't know how much Graham has to offer. Like it, he still flashes when he's out there, but uh, he hasn't gotten a lot of snaps for him. Fletcher Cox, I think you, you maybe just bring him back on another one-year deal like you did this year. That That would make sense to me. It's not like they're loaded at that position with the young guys. And then I'm with you on Lane Johnson, probably, uh, you know, given his contract, given that he's still playing at a high level. So I'm with you. I think Cox and Lane Johnson are back. Jason Kelsey and Brandon Graham. You could be the last time you're watching them in an Eagles uniform on Monday night. And Brandon Graham. So he on the radio said, this is the hardest year that I've ever gone through having the C on my chest. And so I went to his locker a couple of days later. I was like, you got to tell me, you know, you know, what that, what that means. And he's basically like, last year was so easy. Like there was like no problems. And he corrected himself. He's like, well, there's a, a couple of things that came up, but they were like really little things. But this year has been a lot different. So to your mm-hmm. point for like Kelsey, as he's looking at it, like, all right, um, you know, it, this doesn't look like the easy road or, you know, the easier road to, towards a Super Bowl than that it did a year ago when I'm sitting in this spot. So you just wonder as they're making all those calculations if, uh, you know, the way that things have have just totally descended factors into, you know, their morale as they're looking and saying, you know, can I do this again? Like, can I gear myself up for another year? I think that's got to be weighted against them a little bit. Yeah, we'll we'll get to this in another question. But last season felt like kind of the start. It could be the start of something. Not that they were going to get back, but you could kind of envision in your head like a, I don't know, a five-year run where they're really competitive. Things are going, they, they're not going to get to the Super Bowl every year, but maybe they have another trip in there. Maybe they win it one time. Maybe it's, you know, multiple appearances in the NFC Championship. Kind of that success they've been chasing since those Andy years where they were just, you know, they, they, they never won it. But as the organization would tell you at the time, they were in the mix year in and year out. And that's what they've been chasing. It felt like for the first time under Howie, since, you know, he, he took over as GM, like they kind of had the start of that last year. But here we are with a lot of uh, different questions. And that's interesting about Graham because it does. I do wonder about those defensive players specifically, you know, like what is like, uh, I don't know. I feel like the turmoil, uh, I'm sure, you know, a lot more of it will be, uh, as you know, people are um, willing to speak a little more freely once the season ends. So, you know, once it's over with kind of their honest opinion. So I'm definitely keeping my eye um, on that group quite a bit. All right. That was a good one to start with. Number three, what do you got? What's next? All right, let's go six. Six. All right. Number six here. All right. Oh, now, okay. Now I'm getting a little juicy here. Okay. Number six, when they are in private conversation, what do you think Howie Roseman and Jeffrey Lurie are saying about what has happened to this football team going from 10 and one to 11 and six to potentially losing in the first round to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers? Like, how do you think they view this? Who are they? Who are they blaming? Are they saying, well, you know, it's tough. We still won 11 games. Like, how are they framing this when they're in private conversation? No one's around and they're assessing the state of their football team. 
Well, my first instinct is to say that they're not blaming themselves. (laughs) (laughs) I would agree with that. All right. So I I think that they're looking at this amazing product that they've developed uh, that I think, and honestly, last year's roster, I think is the, the best Eagles roster that I've ever seen. And I know they didn't win the Super Bowl in the 2017 team, but it was the most loaded Eagles roster of my lifetime that I can remember. Forget even being on the beat since 2010, like growing up in Philly. I can't remember a more loaded roster, right? Um, And they they had it and they lost it. And that was obviously a huge punch to the gut. But they get to run it back. Now, obviously, you're paying the quarterback now. You're not going to have quite as many resources uh, to to put in there, and so you're going to have some holes that maybe you didn't have the year before when your when your QB was still on a rookie deal. That being said, I mean anybody who looked at this team for the most part still looked at it as a what top five talent, and and now it is totally cratered. And so you know one thing i think that they're thinking about shield is and we know this about lori in particular is that he very much wants to be on the innovative side offensively mm-hmm. he wants to be leading the conversation in ingenuity and how advanced they are and when he looks at this offense is that what he's thinking right now i mean <laughs> you know and the fact that they're they're dead last in motion you know, and and being like, man, like we really went from this this offense that was functioning at a at a really high level and could seemingly get it done any way that we wanted, to now feels like the book is out, and the answers have been really bad. Like they just had, like they the coaching staff and the personnel just haven't been able to put it together, and so that's, I mean, that's what I would imagine they would be thinking. I would imagine there's embarrassment. Um, you know, when you, when you get smacked around by, by Johnny Gans, you know, 220 plus yards when he comes back to town. And then the next week when you're still got something to play for and you're, you get blank 24, nothing by the G men. Um, I would imagine that would, that would get that front office embarrassed. And I don't think that's what you want your front office to be. If you're anybody else underneath them. Yeah. I, I think you nailed the two things when I, when I was thinking about this question. I think Howie Roseman probably looks at this and is like, for all the rosters I have assembled in my life for this one to be a plus five in point differential. I didn't realize this, Tim. I think, I think uh, Zberm had a tweet and then I wanted to look up and look it up further. Since 2000, this is their fourth worst point differential of any Eagles team. Plus five, which to their credit speaks to you haven't had like, you know, uh, a series of crappy teams. You know, even when things have gotten bad, they've mostly been mediocre, um, uh, you know, since since Jeffrey Lurie bought the team. They, they've had their, you know, down moments, but they haven't typically lasted like two or three seasons where the team just totally sucks. You know what I mean? Like it's been all right. It's it's been you're kind of in the middle of the NFL. But plus for, for how we to look at this and be like, this is the fourth worst point differential of a team since 2000 with with this team that I put together, like, oh, like, sorry, that's not good enough. And then I think you nailed it with Lurie. For him to look at this and say, this team is 10th in offensive DVOA and put the, you know, you can put the numbers aside. We just watch them every week. And it's like, you watch the other offenses in the NFL. I mean, he's got to be looking at that 49ers team 
with just all kinds of jealousy. Like when that game happened, I'm sure he was just like, that's what I, my team is supposed to look like. And, and to his credit, like he makes decisions hoping to achieve that over and over again, to your point. Like, and I think that's, I think that's a smart way to approach, you know, roster building and stuff. It's hard to, it's hard to find the right answers to achieve that. But that being your goal to be on the cutting edge of offensive football, I think that's a worthy goal. That's a smart goal that if you hit, you're really going to be built for sustained success. But even teams like the Ravens, uh, the Lions, the Rams, the Packers, I mean, they got to be looking at those teams going, we have more talent offensively than those teams. How have they outperformed our offense with A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith and Dallas Goddard and Jalen Hurts? And I just saw, you know, Brandon Thorne, who does a great job analyzing offensive line. He still got the Eagles offensive line as uh, he ranked all the playoff teams in terms of offensive line. He still got the Eagles number one. So number one offensive line, elite wide receiver one, elite wide receiver two, top five tight end, and a quarterback you just paid $50 million, and a running back who's exceeded your expectations, and this is the offensive product. Um, I think they have to, they're, they're pro- that's, that I think is the part that probably is taking up the bulk of the conversation. Like, I'm with you, they're not blaming themselves. They might say, all right, we knew defensively we're going to have some holes going into this season. We hoped we could do more with less, but yeah, you know, it's, but offensively, and they're health- they've been healthy. I don't know how healthy they're going to be for this game, but for most of the season, They've been more healthy than, you know, mo- almost any offense in the entire NFL. So um, I think that's probably taking up uh, a large, a large part of those conversations that they've had. You know, I, I think they probably, you know, you could, I- I'd be curious to hear what you think about this. I-, I feel like from, you know, kind of the outside where I'm at, that they like Nick Sirianni personally, but like they liked Doug Peterson personally. They liked Andy Reid personally. And so it's not always just about that. Uh, you know, it's about if we want to be here with this talent and the coach can't get us there with this talent, like that's a problem. That That's kind of how I view it. And if, if Laurie wants to learn from the past and he looks at the year where he brought in Rich Scangarello and he had these outside voices, well, we, you know, we really want to, you know, bulk up uh, Peterson's offense. We want to get it to be where it's more creative. It's gotten stale. Let's bring in these these outside guys. And it was a total train wreck. <laughs> yeah, good point. <laughs> you know, like all those cooks in the kitchen and what, what comes out, you know, I mean, uh, a bad product. And so if he's looking at that and being like, this is how I feel about where we are and that we're and that we're in this offensive rut. And I kind of know that if I'm just pulling guys that maybe aren't like Sirianni choices and they're not really a fit for the system, then I know what it ends up looking like then that could fast forward the process. That's a great point. We'll get to it about what the most likely scenario is for the off season, but like something like that playing out again would not. Now it is that season. They were what four and 12, like complete disaster. This is their 11 and six and in the playoffs. So that part's different, but just in terms of the offensive aspect of it um, and what they see from the coaching, I don't know how, how different it is from how they viewed that uh, and how they viewed this here. All right, let's take a quick break. We'll come back. We'll get to more of these questions. As good as the regular season is, there's nothing like NFL Super Wild Card Weekend. Six games, three days. For these teams, it's win or go home. But you'll always have a spot in the playoffs with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. FanDuel has so many ways for you to pick up a W. I'm looking at the Cleveland Browns, minus two and a half 
at Houston. That's that's one that I like for Wild Card Weekend. You can follow my picks or you can do something completely different. Go to FanDuel right now. New customers get started with $150 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place your first $5 bet. Just visit FanDuel.com slash Ringer Philly to join today. That's FanDuel.com slash Ringer Philly. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sportsbook partner of the NFL. 21 plus and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. All right, we are back on the Ringers Philly special. All right, we've done three, we've done six. What do you got next? Lucky number seven here, Shale. Lucky number. Oh, good. This is a question I just teased. Here we go. What is, Tim, the most likely scenario for how this season ends and what happens in the offseason for the Philadelphia Eagles? So, the mm-hmm. most likely scenario, we're, we're going to get into all the possibilities at some point throughout the course of these questions. But if you just had to say right now, here's what I think is going to happen Monday night, maybe beyond that, and then what the organizational reaction is to that. What do you think? Well, I'm trying to avoid this week all of the, you know, we found our stride and we got our backs against the, and all that, that talking stuff. Cause they've been saying that for a couple of weeks and this past week in particular, like after AJ Brown spoke, um, there was a sense like in the locker room that, that Jordan Maialata really put out there of like, we feel like we got something back. The vibes are really high. Um, you know, we feel like we've captured something and then they went out against New York and we're a total no show. (laughs) So so I'm going to avoid, you know, buying into that this week. Um, you know, the bucks aren't a good team, but I, I just don't know if the, if the Eagles can get their act together, just don't know if they could do it. You know, they're showing that they're, they're pointed in, in one specific direction. And even if they do squeak it out, like, are they then going to go into San Francisco and beat that team in their current state? I would say no to that. So I think it's either one and done or divisional, you know, basically divisional round max. And then what's the most likely outcome from there? That is the million dollar question. It's not an easy one because, Sheila, I think this is the the strangest season, one of the strangest seasons, maybe the oddest year that I've ever covered in that mm. even at even at 10 and two, the cracks just started like, forming and you're like this is this is odd it was almost like you know they're waiting for something bad to happen for for the ground to then start trembling um like there was something that already existed there really odd uh and then that was followed by what we've seen now which is them just totally falling apart and so i have one half of my mind that says you know this is a coach that has brought them to the playoffs in three out of three years. Like what is the precedent for a team to fire said coach 
after that. Um, it might be zero. Yeah, that's something it, I'd have to look up. I don't know that that I, I wonder if that's ever uh, it feels like it probably has never happened before unless somebody there was just a big power struggle or like an ego thing uh, or something. But yeah, that, that I, I hadn't thought about that if it's ever happened, you know, in our lifetime. Yeah. I mean, and, you know, well, the yeah, chip had a couple of years of like regular season success and and still still got whacked. But um so that's the one half of my brain. And the other one is just kind of believing what I'm seeing with my eyes, that this thing has this thing has fallen apart on the head coach and there's there's some rot going on right now. So it's a it's a hard one to pin most likely. But I I feel like, um, you know, it's out there that that they they might end up moving on. Like there's I don't know. I don't want to know if I want to say that's the most likely, but I, I do feel that it's in play. Okay. Well, well, we might touch a little bit more on that. And another question, I just thought of Jimmy Johnson. I just looked up his pro football. So I guess that's one. I mean, that is the ultimate, you know, that is a very different yeah. case. That wasn't because the coach was um, underperforming. That was obviously an ego uh, relationship thing, which this, uh, this certainly is not. All right. So I think, uh, you know, based on the betting markets, you would say the most likely scenario is they win this week. They're, they're favorites. It's not, you know, it's not like a huge percentage. It'd probably be what, 60, 40 or whatever based on the line. I think they're three point favorites right now, but um, I'm, I'm with you based on my eyes. I'm picking the bucks in this game. I, I just, I wouldn't feel comfortable picking the Eagles, honestly, against almost any team in the NFL right now, let alone a, a team that, you know, if nothing else, they've been pretty well coached this year. In Tampa, I think they're maximizing what they can get offensively from big. I mean, the Eagles can't even get lined up defensively. Like, unless you're facing an offense that just literally is playing like, you know, the 49ers NFC Championship game last year where their quarterback literally is not allowed to throw a pass or cannot throw a pass. If it's somebody who's just mediocre or better and well-coached and they've got skill position players, I mean, this defense is just like, this is the worst defense. I said it before. I do think this has been the worst defensive football I've seen from an Eagles team in my lifetime. I I was thinking about it saying, Shield, do you want to fire off this tweet? Is this in the heat of the moment? And I'm thinking back to, you know, we covered a little Billy Davis. Those weren't exactly juggernaut defenses. We were watching Juan Castillo headbutt Keenan Clayton. Still (laughs) one of my, one of my favorite moments, Tim, from a training camp where Juan Keenan Clayton. The, the old heads will, will know who I'm talking about. Undersized linebacker for the Eagles. Juan Castillo was so pumped after a training camp rep that he headbutted him. But Keenan Clayton had a helmet on. Juan Castillo... <laughs> I can't even get it out. Juan Castillo did not have a helmet on. And Juan Castillo's head... He just got this gash on his head and he's out there on the training camp field at Lehigh uh, bleeding from his head there. Those were not good defenses uh, either. Yeah. Yeah, I think if I remember right, wasn't there a picture of that yes. in the media relations room, I think hanging up right. in, the, in the wall of the Novacare halls? I would yes. pay endless amounts of money to get my hands on that picture. Ooh, right, my background right here. Yeah, I mean, one of my favorite moments as a as a uh, young Buck reporter. I, I would like to get my hands on that uh, as well. So. I'm picking the Bucs uh, in this football game. I, I think the Bucs are going to win. I'm not going to be shocked if the Eagles win. But as you said, if the Eagles win, it feels like the writing on the wall will be there for like a massive blowout in the divisional, in the, in the divisional round. Maybe not anything can happen, but that's how I see it. So that's how I think the, se- the postseason ends. And then I still have my most likely scenario as they meet with Nick 
and they try what you just mentioned was a train wreck the last time with the Scangarellos and Press Taylor and whoever, Marty, wasn't Marty Mortingweg on that staff? Do at some call. point, Absolutely. Marty Mortingway. Yes. I mean, seven different guys from seven different systems <laughs> with Doug's head spin. <laughs> a complete disaster uh, of a year. I think they'll try to learn from not going maybe that far, but I think they'll basically say, we need to change up things schematically. We need coaches with answers. Nick, work with us. We will give you very strong recommendations about people we think would be good. If you have people you want to bring to the table, and I think Sirianni is probably likely to accept those changes and say, uh, all right, I get it. We haven't been good enough. Let's work together and find different people to bring in. And listen, that could work. I mean, like the Eagle, the like Jeffrey Lurie and Howie Roseman, when they fired, they weren't wrong to be like, this isn't working. We need to do something different. You know, it's not the solutions weren't didn't work out, but like the idea that this isn't working, we need to do something that was right. So there's a chance you bring people in, you find some good, young, offensive, smart, offensive coaches who are maybe being underused somewhere. They come in, they work great with Nick Sirianni. You still have a lot of talent. And all of a sudden next year, you're Super Bowl contenders. That's in play. It's also in play that what you said happens where you bring them in. It doesn't take people, butt heads. You got the system that's a little bit everywhere. You have another disappointing season. And that's where I think next, now I, I could be wrong, totally wrong about this, but I think it's more likely next season um, is maybe where you say, all right, we tried it. It didn't work. But that, that's my most likely uh, scenario. So there yeah. You go. Although we've seen that script before too, right? It's like, okay, now the front office feels like we need to get a little more involved here. Yeah. And here, here are the coaches that we believe, you know, that you should add to your staff. And that, now they're going to creep a little bit more onto Sirianni's space. Sirianni's going to feel a certain way about it. And then it gets combustible. I mean, that's the way that it went with Doug. And I think that Sirianni is more naturally combustible than Peterson. That's period. a good point. You know what yeah, I mean? Peterson's like, Peterson like a likable, non-confrontational type guy. Yeah. A little more passive, you know? Yeah. Um, so what would it look like if... Um, if they tried to usurp some of some more of Sirianni's power. So that's something to consider too. That, that's also a good point. All right. That's all right. So we're do we're done three, six, and seven. We got four more left. What do you got? Now let's go number one. Number one. I mean, I don't know. You must do you have like a, a spy on my computer or something? I mean, this is going pretty much the perfect order. We got one question leading to the next. Usually you get some more randomness in this. Because my, my question here, Tim, is, is there a scenario, and if so, what it is, where Nick Sirianni is not the head coach of this football team in week one of the 2024 season? But we just kind of talked about it. So, so lay it out to me. Like, do you think, does it take an embarrassing performance in the wild card round? Does it take, uh, you know, could it be even after a divisional round performance if then they meet and... They kind of say, they, they view it differently about how to fix this football team. Like, what is the scenario? You mentioned it. It's a possibility. We don't know if it's going to happen or not. What are the scenarios where that actually happens, where all of a sudden this Eagles team out of nowhere is looking for a head coach in the months ahead? So an embarrassing loss would not help. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, a, a, uh, a, a nice run, I think, would. But I, I don't know that I don't know that it's going to come down to 
performance outside of like this this crazy this crazy run they're back in the Super Bowl then it's obvious you know this conversation goes away um maybe even the NFC championship goes away but um i think it's more about diagnosing what is happening right now i mean why is it that this collected group of high end talent has completely lost its way why does it look like um, they are not responding to what's being coached. Where's the disconnect? Why is the disconnect happening? And can we get get it back to a place where it's connected again? That to me is the is bigger than what's the final score of the box game. It's it's more about like what's my inherent belief in this head coach to get things turned in the direction that it needs to get turned in, and uh, even more specifically. You know, is this the right group um, to move forward with my franchise quarterback? You just paid Jalen Hurts two hundred plus million dollars this year. Um, in some ways, he's regressed, and that's not great. Um, and you have to figure out like why is it that it doesn't feel like things are clicking with the combination of Nick Sirianni and Brian Johnson and, and Jalen Hurts? Where's the problem? Um, you know, is it, is it a long-term problem? And that's, you know, that's really the crux of the matter to me, Shio. Like when they're, when they're looking at this, I mean, it would be hard to move on from a coach that's had this much success. It doesn't make a whole lot of, a whole lot of sense if you're just zooming out and being like, it's, it's really hard to get back to the Super Bowl. And this guy just had 11 wins. Like, yeah. you know, um, from that point, like that's the kind of stuff that saves Nick, I think ultimately, but unless they just feel like, Something's wrong here. Something's something's gone rotten, and we don't feel like we're going to be able to get it back on track. And and so we feel like we need to make a move for another head coach, uh, particularly in what now looks like a a very intriguing head coaching group. Right, uh, Mike Vrabel uh, today gets let go. Bill Belichick is going to be available for the only time ever again. I can't um, tell you how many threads on that I'm on, Tim, where someone throws out a Bill Belichick thing. With the, I mean, th- this is if you're listening to this uh, and you are on text threads with your friends, you know this. Somebody has brought this up uh, somewhere about the possibility of Bill Belichick coaching the Eagles. Like this is, uh, I, I feel like it's not out there. Like you, if you did a search online, you're not going to find it anywhere. If you searched every Eagles fan's phone, I think you would find it on a hundred percent of them. I mean, this con- i don't know if it's happening on Sports Talk Radio uh, or not—but it feels like it's uh, it's it's happening everywhere among Eagles fans. Cliff, Cliff just put in the chat: ten different people have brought this up to me, uh, and, and Cliff has the pulse yeah. uh, of the Eagles fans. So yeah, it's funny you you mentioned that because that's one that just it, it like keeps getting brought up over and over and over again. Well, it's it's wormed. That idea has wormed its way into my brain. Uh, it doesn't mean it's going to happen, but it but it has. And I texted you about. It. I was like, I can't. I like, I can't shake this thought and of like, you know, and and hearing Roseman being like, you know, it's just it's not or Lori. It's it's not every day that the the most uh, accomplished head football coach in NFL history becomes available. We love Nick, but um, so that thought has has come into my mind, and the fact that you know. Maddie, Maddie Pencils is already here, right? The, oh, the candidate, the candidate uh, for head coach came down to Nick Sirianni and Josh McDaniels. Um, you know, like Good he's point. a Boston guy. There's so I, 
So that kind of stuff rattles in my mind. There's also the other side of like, how much power does Howie still have? And would he ever allow that knowing that his power would quickly get taken away with Belichick? Um, you know, is, is Belichick the right fit? Um, modern day, all that kind of stuff. So I'm not, I'm not suggesting it's going to happen, but I have to be honest and say it's a, it's a, at least a thought of mine. Well, it, it goes to like what this team is right now. Like this is not a tear it down, rebuild, you know what I like, like the answers you want from a roster perspective. Yeah. You got to do stuff defensively. There's no doubt about it, but offensively, like they're here, they're ready. They're in their prime. I mean, AJ Brown, Devonte Smith, they're under contract. Uh, Devonte Smith, I still think absolutely uh, will be, even if he's not for the long term. I, I, I just don't, the organization doesn't have a history of letting guys like that at premium positions that, you know, in the prime of their careers walk, I could be wrong, but Devonte Smith, Dallas Goddard, AJ, you know, AJ Brown, Jalen hurts the offensive line, even if like the pieces are there to win right now. And so they have been kind of, you know, in the past, like with Doug and like when, even when Andy Reed went, it wasn't, uh, I'm sure if you pulled them at that time, do you think Andy Reed is a great coach? They would have said yes, but it's like, that's not it doesn't just come down to that. You know, it's like, is, do you have the right coach at the right time for what you want to accomplish right now? You know, it's very different when they brought in Sirianni, they didn't think they were going to be in the Super Bowl two years later. Like they, they probably thought it was going to be a longer rebuild and it's hard to know your timeline. Sometimes Um, people surprise you, players surprise you, coaches surprise you. And all of a sudden you're in there. But I do think if they're looking at this and assessing it, they're probably viewing this as like a, who's the best coach to like, get us competing for Super Bowls right now. Like we don't, we do not want this to take two years or three years or be, you know, three years down the line. And all of a sudden now somebody had an injury or somebody's nearing 30 or we can't sign a guy like the pieces are in place right now. So that, that's why that one is a little bit interesting. Yeah. And from Belichick's perspective, I mean, like to your point, at being older in his career, he would probably want to take over a team that's ready to rock. So people are connecting him to Washington. I think it would be easier to step in a, you know, Philly situation. Than it would be Washington. I think the chargers make sense because you got the quarterback and all, all that kind of stuff. And if, if the Patriots do have, um, if they are in a situation where they get to trade him, then I would imagine trading him out of the conference would probably be preferable than trading him within. So those are just kind of, some threads that you think about. And then there's also, you know, man, this season has gone sideways. Look at this conversation <laughs> we're having before the playoffs. Unbelievable. For the 11, six team that's going into the playoffs <laughs> on Monday night. It is, it is strange. I mean, but like I told you, this is, this is a, one of the more bizarre years that I've, that I've ever covered. Yeah. With, with Sirianni and I said this in our post game pod on one hand, I'm going, the guy's 25 and nine in the last two seasons with a Super Bowl appearance under his belt. Like if you move on from that coach, just organizationally it makes you look like impulsive. It makes you look like you have unrealistic expectations for what you want. Now you're always going to be able to attract, you know, somebody there's only 32 jobs. You have a good roster. I'm not saying that means you can hire anybody, but you know, they care about how they're viewed around the league by the media, by the public, by the fans, all those things. So like it's, it's uh, again, it's almost unprecedented to make a move like that. Having said that, it's also like that this type of meltdown has not been really seen before uh, or, or very rarely. And so, um, you know, you can't explain it away with injuries or weird bounces. They've been healthier than most teams. Um, based on DVOA, this surprised me, Tim, when you at, when you look at the schedule as a whole, 
they faced a bottom 10 schedule in the NFL. So they had that gauntlet in the middle where we're all saying, oh my God, every week they're playing a great team. But they also got the Commanders twice. They got the Giants twice. They got the Cardinals. They got the Patriots and the Jets. Those are seven games, uh, you know, nearly um, half your season against like, you know, five of the worst teams in the NFL. So when you balance it out, and that's only one metric, I'm not saying it's perfect, but it's like, this hasn't been, at least from that aspect, like the uh, top five hardest schedule in the NFL. So now you're looking at that um, and you're just looking at, man, we thought we had something different here. We've been chasing that sustained success. Is Nick the guy to bring us that sustained success when he hasn't had any answers here? Uh, you know, we, we wanted that Andy Reid type feeling with the core, with the leadership, where we're competing year in and year out, where we're ahead of the curve offensively, like you mentioned. In all of those aspects, this season has been a step back. Throw the record out the window. Just those categories of maybe what you want from your coach, from your organization, um, it's been a big step back. So uh, I, again, I still think Sirianni stays with, with changes to his staff, but when you kind of look at it that way, uh, you can't rule anything out, which is wild to say. Again, 25-9 and nine the last two years with Nick Sirianni. So, yeah. I mean, there is there is a, a decent amount of loyalty, from what I can tell, uh, in the locker room for Sirianni. Like Jordan Mailata, when he got asked a couple weeks ago if, if um, Sirianni still has the locker room, like he got he got upset about it and he cut off <clears throat> the interview because he, he was worked up about it. And I rounded back to him the next week and I was like, "What made you upset about that?" And he's and he's basically just said. Um, He's like, he, he hasn't lost the locker room. Like guys have his back. You heard AJ Brown said, you know, we ride with Sirianni. They like the messaging that he brings. They, um, they feel like it's, it's from the heart. Um, you know, they like the fact that he takes, uh, you know, bullets for them, like, right. like he did for AJ Brown and, and Jalen Hurts. And so there's, there's those things that are real and that guys will tell you both on the record and off. Um, but then there's also some, some weird stuff like, there was the report from from Jay Glazer on Sunday about the players only meeting where AJ Brown stood up and said, "Guys, we have to we have to listen to our coaches." Like what? <laughs> you know, I mean, <laughs> you know, that should be like, you know, that shouldn't be something they have to say. Like why is he saying that? Um right. Why is he saying that? So so there are there's like you know, there's definitely a lot of things that people respect and like about Sirianni. There's also just a an, an oddness to this year that you have to, you know, incorporate the coaching staff as as part of the equation. Yeah, it's like to me, it's if he hasn't lost the locker room, that's a good thing. But also, what's it translating to? You know what I mean? Like it's still the product on the field on a on the on Sunday, the last two weeks, um, like. Does that, how much does that matter? Basically, you know, if, if players like him and respect him personally, again, that's good. That's better than the alternative with a Joe judge or a Matt Patricia, uh, or a Josh McDaniels or urban Meyer. I mean, those are the worst case scenarios for a head coach. But once you kind of clear that bar, then like there has to be something more, you know what I mean? Like it's a good thing, but it's not everything, I guess, uh, is what I'm saying there. So, uh, we'll see how this thing shakes out. All right. What do you got? What's next? We got three more left here. Let's go with two. Two. Okay. All right. This is one I want. I actually haven't talked to you uh, about, you know, some of these we, we talk a little off the record on, but this one I haven't asked you about. How did we get here, Tim, with Matt Patricia? Just like, like I was just sitting back trying to think about this 
today. Like they go from, uh, you know, bringing in Sean Desai and they had like, even if you look at this, their first Bucks game, like I'm, you know, starting to prep for that. I'm like, oh, they had a good defensive performance the good t- the first time against the Tampa Bay Bucks. You know, they had a good defensive performance against the Miami Dolphins, against the Kansas City Chiefs. They were okay. They hung in there in that game. So how do we get from like that to now Matt Patricia is running the defense where this is just, I mean, this is just a, a mess with players not knowing their roles, what they're supposed to do, confusion, getting lined up. I mean, there is nothing you can look at from this Eagles defense and, and point to, oh, this is a nice um, sign of hope here. So uh, two of their three worst performances of the season based on success rate have come in the last two weeks against the Giants and the Cardinals. I mean, think of all the quarterbacks they faced. Uh, for that sentence to be true is pretty uh, is pretty damning. So, like, how do you think this whole thing started? Was this a contingency plan from someone in the organization? And if so, who might that have been before the season? Was Desai more a Sirianni hire? Or was this more of a Howie Roseman and Jeffrey Lurie hire? When Sirianni's making that decision, do you think he's being encouraged by the front office to make that decision or do you think he's doing it on his own or do you think they're telling him this is something you should think about like just any insight you have into those dynamics and i know it's tricky and you you probably don't have um you know all the answers to all those things but take me take me through how we got here with maddie pencils calling this defense yeah so I, i looked into a little bit of the origin i don't have it um fully firm but in terms of like patricia coming here i think there's a link between the fact that Sirianni and Belichick have actually developed a good rapport kind of behind oh, the scenes. Interesting. And I believe that was that helped lay the groundwork for Patricia eventually coming to Philadelphia. So that's 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 my sense sense of it. So I don't think that one was I'm sure that the front office had say in that, but I don't know that that was like a directive like you need to have Matt Patricia on this staff. Uh, in terms of of how it came down. And part of the reason why I say that this is a really bizarre season is like, even after the San Francisco loss, you already started feeling um, the, the fact that the defensive players, some of the defensive players were not feeling Sean Desai and were not feeling settled in the defense that he was calling. Um, And you started to hear some grumbling. And when the change was made, um, it was met at least by some players uh, with relief that they, that they didn't feel like the sigh was um, what's the best way to put it. Like maybe he was overcomplicating things a little bit where he is like, he's so smart and he has like an answer for everything that like, like he would have um, just a, a long list of if this, then X for a player on a particular situation. So like he had it all mapped out. But the problem with that, according to, to some people that I've talked to, is that just kind of like didn't allow them to play fast. Like they were thinking too much. The assignment was just um, was just too complicated and that that held them back. So the fact that Patricia comes in, I think at least in part was was welcomed. Um and but I it's hard to it's hard to believe that this was just like a, a Sirianni decision, even though that he says publicly and, you know, they maintain uh, privately that this was 100% Sirianni, like, Shio, we've been around this organization, right? you know, and we know that that they have heavy influence. And we also know Sirianni's track record and like he hasn't fired anybody. 
Um, you know, even Michael Clay after a disastrous, disastrous special teams year last year, still, still rode with his guy. And yet he's going and he's, you know, he's got this immense loyalty to his players and he won't, you know, and all that kind of stuff, but he's going to, but he's going to move Desai in that spot in that moment by himself. That one doesn't seem um, like it's, it's that it all adds up. So I, I feel like, you know, the front office probably had some say there. And then I, I just ultimately think that it was a, a massive mistake. Like, was Desai perfect? Desai was not perfect. Were there were some people grumbling about it? Yes. Um, does that mean that it's the right decision to remove your defensive coordinator who's already just in his first year as DC when it's already hard enough to like, we always, we see it. It takes at least a year for guys to get used to a new system. And, and now you're going to take that guy out and you're going to put somebody else in and you're going to have him tailor that system to what he wants it to be at the end of the season. What are you expecting the results to be? What are you expecting that all of a sudden, like Son Reddick is dropping back in the coverage and this guy's going this way. We're changing this and some language maybe is getting changed according to, to what Reddick said a couple of weeks ago. And beyond all that, I need to get this out. Beyond all that, just imagine that you're in this rut that you're in and you're trying to get all the ships pointed in, in the right direction and you're trying to improve morale. And you go to Hassan Reddick, who's one of the, your top players on defense and he's your best pass rusher, who has been biting his tongue all year about his contract situation. But you know it's there. Like he makes it known that it's there without coming out 100% and just going ballistic on this organization, right? So you know it's there. And then you go to Hassan and you be like, Hassan, you're going to drop into coverage now. <laughs> Could you imagine? Like, so, so not only are you screwing things up schematically, but how does that play in the locker room, uh, especially with a key player like that? I can't imagine, he, not that he said anything, but I can't imagine he's happy about it. Um, I can't imagine that these guys are, are walking onto the field confidently, that they know what they're doing. And does the product not just scream that? Like, these guys don't know what they're doing, Shield. Yeah, no, there's there's no doubt about it. I mean, I, I I've said before, like player, the last thing that like players from their coaches want coaches who they feel like have the answer to help them improve individually, and then have the answers to help them win football games. And it is the opposite right now with when you watch this defense play uh, with this defense coordinator. I mean, I'm with you. I've made the joke 17 times on this podcast in which you'll appreciate if I'm Reddick's agent and I'm telling dropping coverage, just, I didn't get the defensive call. Just go, listen, when <laughs> that contract's going to come at some point and we need that stat sheet filled up. Then we're not getting any, uh, you know, we're not getting an extra mill for, uh, we were in the right spot when we dropped into, you know, the, the hook curl area, uh, of our zone coverage and prevented a pass from being thrown. No, no, that is, as Jim Washburn would say back in our early days, you know, sacks, you put the dollar sign on the S, uh, for sacks and that's how you get paid when the contract comes up. So your Sirianni point there is a very good one that I hadn't thought of, uh, before. I mean, even AJ Brown said the thing about loyalty, like that's his best trait right when he talked and, and you're right like even Jonathan Gannon his first year I mean they were like they were a mediocre to below average defense that entire year and it, from at least as far as I know there was no talk about uh replacing him in that situation it was like all right we we believe now he had a history with Gannon so I, I understand it's different he, he had been around him before but um you're, you're right I mean the coaching staff has just kind of stayed intact uh for the most part 
except for, you know, Denard Wilson gets passed over, but that's a different situation. That's not, hey, you're fired because you're not doing your job. He, he's been very loyal, it seems like, to his staff, uh, to his players. And so then to pull the plug when, like, you weren't six and five, you know? And the defense, I remember at the time, people are saying, oh, Sheila, you know, can't get any worse. I'm like, no, no, it can get worse. They're like, they were like 22nd or something at the time. They weren't 32nd. Like, there is a difference. There's a difference between getting shredded by Kyle Shanahan and getting shredded by uh, Tyrod Taylor or, you know, Kyler Murray and Greg Dortch. Like, yes, there is a difference between those two things. And so um, that that is interesting to, when you're kind of thinking about how did this whole thing uh, come about? So um, it's good insight. I don't know how it's going to uh, end here. I guess, uh, you know, we're probably looking at a new defensive coordinator search um, in the offseason, but who knows? This could go in a million different ways. All right, two more, Tim. Four and five. What do you got? All right, let's go with four. Four. Okay, four is. All right, if you're listening to this and you say, stop being so negative, I'm trying to get pumped up. For, uh, for a playoff run here. They'll turn it around. There was some Chad Ochocinco clip of him smoking something saying they're just playing possum. <laughs> Don't worry. They're going to be good here. They're going to turn. He said, I've seen this before. They're going to turn this around. They're going to come out and play well. So here's the, here's the prompt. Paint us the picture, Tim, for how the Eagles turn this around and are playing in the NFC Championship. Because as much as you said earlier, and I generally agree with you, it's not just, you know, Sirianni's future is not just based on the results. If they get to the NFC Championship, I even think if they were to get to the divisional round and like play the Niners tough, I just don't think you can even go down that path of firing um, your head coach. So it does matter a little bit in that respect. So what is the scenario where uh, two weeks from now you would be traveling? I get, it could be San Francisco. It could be uh, Dallas, it could be Detroit, whatever. And you're saying, man, I, you know, I told the fam, they're all mad at me. Cause I told them I would be able to hang out, uh, this day. And instead I'm covering an NFC championship with the Philadelphia Eagles. What's that scenario? Yeah. Plug your ears. If you're Mrs. McManus about all those <laughs> possibilities after, after a wild card round, I, I, uh, this one is almost as hard of a question as you've asked me, like, cause it's just so, it's just so hard to, to imagine them turning it around right now. And it's clearly not my expectation. But um, I think it's it's just a matter of gaining a little bit of momentum uh, against a bad team in Tampa. Like this this team really needed a shot in the arm. Like you could you could feel even in that last stretch that they not only like some players felt like they not only needed to to win against like an Arizona against a New York, but to smack them down, like to mm. to get that feeling like that that they're back, that they have found something that they've clicked into gear, and that it's there. Um, so, you know, confidence I, I feel like is waning as much as they're putting on a good front, and so some of it comes down to that for me. Um, you can even go back to 2017. You know that that opening game against Atlanta. That was not an easy win. That was not a pretty win. Uh, they could have very well gotten bounced by Julio Jones at the at the very end there. Yeah. And um, but they used that, and the next thing you know, they took off. And so I, I feel like that's part of it. Like you you beat up a, an already beaten up Baker Mayfield. Um, you get your pass rush on track. You simplify things a little bit defensively. Um, you know Patricia's got to stop doing whatever he's doing, and and go back to here were some installs from training camp that we repped for 12 weeks. Um, 
you know, let's, let's do that. Um, and just try to be great at that. And then offensively, um, yeah, I think that they need to, what do they need to do offensively? They need to, they need to utilize their players a little bit more in like routes over the middle. They need to, they need to start come up with better, uh, blitz beaters. They need to do, do things on that end that will start generating, um, you know, a little bit of, of freshness uh, on the offensive side. But I don't think it takes a whole lot offensively because you have the players there. And so that's really what it is for me, Shiel. Like, I feel like, you know, this this team, uh, to your earlier point, was sort of built for the offense to be great and for the defense to be just good enough. Right. You didn't need them to be a top 10 defense. You needed them to be like, you know, I don't know, like 14 to 17 defense in in order for them to carry it. And that's what they need to sort of get back to. And if they can regain their stride offensively and have their defense just stop leaking so much oil, then that's a recipe where they can take care of business against Tampa. And then they can go confidently, at least more confidently, into San Francisco and Dallas and be like, all right, we know the recipe. We're back on track a little bit. And let's see what we can do from there. I was I was just thinking, uh, Tim. Our first season of Birds twenty four seven was Andy Reid's last season uh, as the Eagles head coach. They're four and twelve, and Todd Bowles takes over as defensive coordinator. And credit to Todd Bowles, he would show up in the locker room. Remember that after the games, you know, yeah. you could have a huddle because normally the coordinator Jim Schwartz never took a question after uh, a game, so you didn't know what happened defensively. But Todd Bowles would stand there, and I remember they had a game uh, and. I, I, Namdi Asamoah must've got beat or something. And so I was trying to, you know, give a, a, not a softball question, but in a way, you know, I probably should, this is not the good way to ask questions, but be like, you know, was that a, a complicated, what was the coverage? Was it something complex? You know what I mean? Like, was there's, what was the reason why you guys got beat so badly on that play? And he said, that was cover three is a high school coverage. <laughs> I was like, oh, I like this guy. But I remember what that. You, what you said, uh, they really should, they should take all the high school, they should just be playing high school coverages, honestly. They should be going to high school cover three. Hey, here are the, you know, base coverages, you zone coverages you guys have played your entire lives. Cover two, cover three. We're not going to make it complicated. Uh, we're going to go four down, play fast, get after the quarterback. We're going to give up some plays. It's going to happen. But you know what? We just like... Free, play freely, make plays, do your best. We'll see what happens. Because the other stuff, it's not working. I mean, this this communication, Nick Morrow doesn't even have his mouthpiece in when the ball's being snapped. I mean, they're bumping guys over. There's just mass confusion. Uh, as you and I both believe, I know from our previous conversation, defensive players have that, like, and they just want to, like, get after it and play fast and go hit someone and create chaos. And you know what? It might not work. You might give up 35. but Maybe, maybe, you know, you're, maybe you have enough with your defensive line, or maybe you can figure something out where it keeps you uh, in the game. So I, to bring it all back now, they're playing Todd Bowles. Just, you know, have it on the call sheet. High school cover three, high school cover two, high school cover one. There you go. That, that's what we're playing uh, this game. And we're not a motions, whatever. We're just going to stand here. Uh, we're playing, you know, we're playing a lot of zone anyway. We don't need to react to that. We're going to be fine. So I think uh, I think that's what they need to do defensively. Um, and offensively, yeah. I mean, they're still more talented than the opponents they face. I mean, we'll see who's healthy and who's not for this game. I guess that could change. But they can absolutely win this game against the Bucs. They're favorites. And by the way, 
if the Rams or the Packers win, which I actually think one of those teams is, is probably going to win. I think I'll probably pick the Rams uh, in that game. You avoid the 49ers in the divisional round. So now you're going uh, probably to Dallas, say, in the divisional round where you got whooped once, but you also beat them once, uh, beat the Cowboys with Dak Prescott. So maybe you have a chance uh, in that game, and that gets you to the NFC Championship. Or, Tim, if the Rams and the Packers win, now you're hosting. I mean, you don't have to go anywhere in the divisional round. The Eagles are hosting a divisional round playoff game. You beat the Bucs. You host the Rams in the divisional round. So there you go. That's the picture of how they can get to the NFC Championship. See, they didn't think we could get rosy here. We just got a little, <laughs> maybe feel a little rosy there, Shield. All right. Last one here. How much of this meltdown, Tim? We barely talked about this guy. We're like an hour into the podcast. We're ending with this one. How much of this meltdown, if any, falls on the quarterback, Jalen Hurts? What do you think? Usually in these situations, the quarterback's getting killed, crushed. Like there's usually a lot more talk and a lot of times it's rightfully so. And this is kind of a unique situation, but just what do you think? Like, is it right that he's maybe not shouldering a ton of the blame? Should he, should there be more blame uh, directed at him? Where do you kind of fall on that question? Yeah. The fact that we haven't talked about him much in in an hour probably tells you a little bit where we're leaning uh, that it's not, you know, mostly on, on Hertz, but obviously, know a franchise quarterback that just got paid that much money and and your offense uh, is going backwards like you got to put some of that on Hertz absolutely um, I also think from like a tone setting perspective he could be better um, this is one thing that that I asked him and that I've, I've thought about a, a good amount is like he prides himself on being the the thermostat is that what it is you're you're the thermostat whatever right. the, that that quote is um, you, you're the one that sets the temperature. My question is, do you ever feel like you're setting the, the temperature too high? In other words, where like you're, the standard is, is always like through the roof. You're never hitting that. It's never good enough. It's this quest per, for perfection. It's kind of what you preach. Um, it does that allow for smaller victories? Does that allow for joy? Does that allow right. for you know, the team to just feel good about themselves a little bit. And this has been a really unique year in the fact that the pressure in Philly is is always magnified. But the pressure this year, I've had a number of guys talk to me about it. I've had people behind the scenes talk to me about, about, about just the weight that they feel on their shoulders coming off of that Super Bowl loss and trying to climb back up there and listening to the people on the outside tell them, you know, how even when they were 10 and 1, how they were 10 and one, but not that great. And they felt all of that. And it just felt like they needed like a, a pin to, to let some air out of the balloon uh, where they can just kind of, and, and they don't need like, and hurts like he's wired this way. So I understand it, but like he's grappling up there after wins about, is it winning? Is it the standard? It's so confusing in my own mind. No, dude, it's winning. It's winning uh, and enjoy it. It's not easy. It's not easy to do in this league. Um, and he's so head down and so like, you know, driven to, to get the answers that maybe he needs to pick his head up a little bit more. You know, I think it's something that Carson Wentz dealt with, um, you know, for a, a good part of his tenure here. I think that hurts is better uh, at forming relationships and, and reaching across the aisle and all that kind of stuff. So I'm not saying he's going down that road, but I do feel like um, that he, he can step up in different ways as a leader that maybe he's not accustomed to accustomed to when the situation kind of flips 
from what it was a year ago. It was always on the climb now, last year. Now everybody's trying to beat you down this year. It's different. Um, so I think that you have to approach the season differently. So that's that's kind of like the leadership angle. And then, you know, his play, I think I go back to the fact that the triumvirate of Nick Sirianni and Brian Johnson and Jalen Hurts is not meshing. It's just not. Um, and and I, I don't look at that necessarily. Like I, I put Hurts as part of that equation, but I've also seen what it looks like when he's vibing, when he's in when when he's going and I know that I know that it's better than this um so I tend to kind of lean back towards you know why why does it feel like the coaches that what the coaches are putting out there in some ways is is not being fully accepted or maybe even in some circumstances rejected uh I was asked uh by Tyrone Johnson uh yesterday he said um you know have the has the team quit on this head on this head coach and I and I said no I don't think Quit is, I said, quit is too strong of a word, but are the, are the players convicted in what they're doing? And I think that's a, that's an important distinction. And I think maybe gets more to the heart of the matter. Like is Hertz convicted, um, in, in what he's doing? Um, and, and I think that that answer is a, is a big part of, a big part of the, uh, the upcoming discussion here and, you know, what's going on with this team and how do they get right? Like they, they need to get back on the, they need everybody needs to get on back on the same page and riding together. Right now, it just feels a little disjointed. Yeah, does he feel that these guys could give me the answers I need to be successful and play at the level you were talking about? Like again, that's what every player wants. And if I were him, I, I would understand if he feels like no, they don't have those answers for me because we haven't seen it. We haven't seen you know we we've been watching every game and they haven't had those answers. For him, so um, you know, I, I, I tend to be pretty much aligned with you there. I, I think his play, you know, he hasn't played as well as last year. There's been some more ups and downs um, here this season. At the same time, that's not like one on my list for the offense. I, I definitely look at it and say, man, if you had a different offensive coach running this thing right now, would it look a lot different with Jalen Hurts as the quarterback, and would we be talk, talking about him differently? I do. I do. Th- I think I could name probably 10 coaches right now um, around the NFL, a lot of them in the playoffs where, man, if you, if they had just been running this thing from training camp to now, would it look a lot smoother? Would you be looking at potentially an offensive juggernaut? I just think the answer is yes. Like that, that's just how I feel watching this offense compared to other offenses um, in the NFL. But I'm with you on the intangible stuff. You know, like he got so much credit and I think rightfully so last year for his approach and his mindset. And it was like, man, you have this volatile head coach, but the team kind of has more of the mindset of Jalen Hurts, the quarter, more even keel, more like business-like, uh, the work ethic, the demeanor. And that was a good, that was a good thing. At the same time, like that should, you know, ideally that would prevent a collapse like this, right? Where like, it shouldn't look like this if that leadership is so strong and that, you know, that everybody's following that to a T, like you should, you can have ups and downs. There's no doubt about it, but it shouldn't look like this, what we've seen the last five or six years. So I do think we have to like bring that up. If, if that, you know, that even keelness, that demeanor, this, that approach, um, you know, if that can help you in a time like this, then maybe it's not as valuable as many of us, myself included, probably might have thought it was um, last season. So that that's the other thing uh, I would say there about Jalen. And you're, I agree with you about the joy thing. It's like it's a long season. 
uh, you know, like you've been playing this their whole lives. Like when teams go down, it's, you don't want it to be, uh, miserable, you know, like that's why people didn't like playing for, uh, you know, some of those coaches I mentioned earlier, like you, you gotta take some joy in what you're accomplishing. Like it's fine for me to point out, well, that wasn't that impressive of a win and their point differential is this, but like, I can admit, like if I were a player on the team, I would feel differently. I would be telling me to shut up, like shut up. We just practice. I just, I, my knee hurts and I got cleated and we went out there and we didn't get this call and we still won and we beat the Kansas City Chiefs. I don't need you telling me about our success rate or our EPA or whatever. We won the game and I'm moving on to the next week. Like that's how I would feel if I were a player. I would be looking at the other stuff. And so like his approach, um, you're right. Like it, like not everyone is going to be best served to approach it the way he does like that works for him um but that might not work for everybody and in a time like this where you're having loss after loss after loss and uh distrust and all that um you know it, it certainly hasn't saved them is, is what i will say there all right this has been fun t-mac what do you got what's the week look like for you here what do you got anything to plug you're headed down there what tomorrow and then they'll prepare for a, mo- a monday night i mean we got do we really have to wait till monday night Knock this bad boy out Saturday afternoon, but whatever. Uh, Monday night is the game. So what do you got coming up? Yeah, uh, well, so we're uh, going down there tomorrow. It's going to be a it's going to be a busy week. We're going to talk to uh, all the all the folks. Try to get more of the the sentiment inside the locker room. We're going to stay away from from the the hyperbole. We're going to stay away from the we found our swagger. We're going to try to get to <laughs> try to get to the the meats of the of the issue here. And I have a. Uh, a feature that I'm working on that should come out on Monday um, that we'll, we can talk about after the fact. Uh, but, but look forward to something popping uh, this week. And, and then, yeah, we'll be, be flying down there on Sunday. Nice to, I think it's going to be warm, Tampa Bay. Not a bad, not a bad destination, right? Yeah. At least you spend a couple days there, watch some playoff games on Sunday, maybe, and then uh, get ready for a game Monday night. There you go. We got it. It's an easy trip. It's what, two and a half hours in direct flight. It's a very easy city to navigate. So in terms of like, you know, report from a reporter perspective, yeah. me and you have had some, some good times. That's in right. Tampa. Yes. Cigar city brewing. I still, I just saw the t-shirt when I was doing laundry earlier. Right. There you did buy the t-shirt. Yes. I, bought the t-shirt. I didn't buy the hat. The hat said Florida on it. And I said, you know, the Florida's fine. I'm not the biggest Florida guy. So I'm just going to go with the t-shirt. Uh, listen, everybody make their own choices. All right. Good, good work by you. <laughs> I think Jimmy Kemsky also rates the press box food there uh, pretty good, which I think it is, if my memory serves me correctly. So there you go, Tampa. Nice trip. We'll see what happens. Read TMAC, ESPN.com. Watch him on SportsCenter. His face is, you know, when I'm, when I'm getting a uh, workout at the gym, Cliff's making me, making fun of me for when I'm trying to navigate the different conflicts. Go, but I still can see Tim's face uh, on the TV there on SportsCenter or on 97.5 The Fanatic. So check that out. TMAC. Thank you for joining me, Cliff Augustine, ace producer. Thank you for producing. I will be back Wednesday with Sean. We'll break down this Eagles-Bucks matchup. Then talk to you soon on the Ringers Philly Special.
Must be 21 plus and present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Kentucky, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, Vermont, and Virginia. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit Connecticut. 1-800-9 within Indiana. 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas. 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net in West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York.